If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their, their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two other, others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my father my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This morning you'll see that I've lost my name badge and so if I seem a bit disoriented to you, uh, a bit confused about personal identity, you'll understand. <laughs> In the uh, question box uh, yesterday there are a series of questions and so I'm actually going to begin uh, with those questions this morning. I grouped them into uh, three groups. Firstly, there were questions about the system of sacrifice. In other words, the pattern uh, that we looked at yesterday. Secondly, secondly, there were questions about forgiveness and non-Christians. And thirdly, there were questions about forgiveness and unrepentance. So I'm just going to try and quickly work my way through those three sets of questions. Um, then we'll have lunch. And then, no. <laughs> you are awake, good, good. 
Okay. Um, in the questions about sacrifice, do Jews still sacrifice? The answer is not to my knowledge. On my understanding, uh, you have to have the temple uh, in the place where God designates it in order to offer sacrifice. Are there any groups of Jews who do actually offer sacrifices? Um, I'm not sufficiently aware to be able to answer that question. Uh, there are a number of questions about the series of sacrifices, that there are lots of animals. If you went all the way through the book of Leviticus, you would find not only um, lambs and uh, young male goats, bulls are also offered, then you might have doves or pigeons and so on. Some of those are offered for different reasons. So you'll see that there's actually a series of different sorts of offerings um, and animals are slaughtered when an offering is not actually being made um, and yet they're part of what's happening. So uh, there are sin, guilt and atonement offerings. In each of those offerings an animal dies for the guilt of the sinner. But uh, when something has to be cleansed, then a bird dies uh, its head is wrung off, its blood is poured into water, the water is then um, scattered about with some branches of hyssop. Okay, so if you look through Leviticus, you'll find uh, that, yes, there are a number of different animals that are involved, but uh, they're for different reasons. Then the other thing that you'll find is sometimes there's the discount sacrifice. So it's a kind of means-tested thing. If your income falls... No, 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 it's not means-tested. But it's that kind of idea. You may be poor, and yet the system needs to be able to work for you. And so God provides for those who are poorer to use different animals to those who are more well-off. There's a question about capital punishment. Um, and the one thing that we can say from Scripture is that it does seem to be legitimate for some sin. And so when um, God says to his people that the punishment must fit the crime, an eye for an eye, a limb for a limb, a life for a life, the first understanding that we need to get into our head there is that that's limiting vengeance. It's saying, no, 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 punishment can't be ten times as great as the crime. But the other thing is saying there is an appropriateness that must um, correspond between punishment and crime. Now, if in our society we decide that we don't want to go down the line of capital punishment, there may be reasons why we do that. We can't actually wipe it out totally, a priori. <clears throat> Punishment and restitution do seem to be two different things and we're going to look at that uh, a bit more this morning. Now, why is there the death of the animal? Is it that human beings have actually mismanaged creation so much that somehow um, this is what's happening? No, it seems quite clearly that God himself decides right from very early on and presumably from before the beginning that this is what he's going to do. And so we get it uh, in Genesis chapter 9 uh, where God tells uh, Noah that he's not allowed to eat the blood with the animal because the life is in the blood and that whoever sheds the life, the blood of a human being, their blood will be required. And then in Leviticus there's a passage which talks about God giving the blood for 
the remission of sins. So the blood symbolises life. That's why um, the animal sacrifices are made and why there is a focus on the blood being shed of the animal sacrifice. Um, the question, what is forgiveness for those who deny the atonement? Um, now, um, there are different ways in which people say, well, surely the Bible couldn't be saying that God is angry with us. Surely the Bible couldn't be saying that God wants to punish us. And there are all sorts of things which uh, people say. So some say um, the atonement, um, why would you need to turn away the anger of an angry God if our God is loving and not angry? All right. Um, the question actually had atonement and punishment combined together. Um, whereas what you'd see is I've separated out punishment and atonement. Okay, so um, what about for those, <coughs> and I've separated out punishment and atonement because that's what the Bible does. One pays the penalty for the sin, that's punishment. The other turns away God's anger. Now, <coughs> when we sin against God, it's not just that we've crossed the line and we have to get back to where we were before we crossed the line. It's in our relationship with him. And so, by sinning, by disobeying the command, we are distrusting his good intention towards us. We're doubting his promise that he will punish. And we are saying to God, we want to be God. So, whilst we may pay back the uh, bull that we've stolen... What about God, who we've said to God, go jump in the lake, you don't run this world, you didn't make us, you didn't desire our good, we don't care about you. What about God? And so atonement is actually dealing with the fact that God is rightly angry with us for our sins. And if God's rightly angry with us for our sins, we're in huge trouble. What we need is God to look favourably on us, not with anger on us. And so the atonement is <coughs> what concentrates on what happens. How is it that God gets from being angry with us and rightly angry with us to being favourable towards us? See that difference between the punishment, paying the penalty for the wrong, and the atonement actually dealing with the fact that God is rightly angry with us and we need him to be favourable towards us, not angry with us. So um, I don't actually, um, you might like to come and ask me again uh, about that uh, if you're the questioner. I'm not aware of people who deny um, that the atonement is punishment. Um, all right? So because they're two different things. Um, now, the... Um, Final question in this system of sacrifice. Jesus' death doesn't stop us sinning, so how is it superior to the old system? Now, what Jesus' death does and in what the way in which it is superior to the old system is not in that it stops us sinning, it's that it's a once-off sacrifice for all our sin. 
okay? That's the big difference. Now, when will we have our sinning stopped? When we see him face to face? Uh, when either we die or when he returns, okay? That's when we'll stop sinning. Are our sins covered? Yes, they are. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice is a once-for-all sacrifice. Now, if we were to tease that out a bit more, then uh, what we might actually conclude is that Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice pays for all of our sins and that his verdict of righteousness is given to us as a verdict which comes from the end time and is brought back into our life in the present. So that we're actually having the final verdict of God on us because of Christ's death on our behalf brought back, as it were, into our present daily life. What do we live? We live actually in the light of where God is going to have us at the final judgment. And at the final judgment, when all of our sin is finished, we've, we've done everything wrong that we're going to do, God then says, Christ died on your behalf, therefore his righteousness is your righteousness. That's actually how I look at you now. And so that's why Christ's sacrifice is better than the old sacrifice because you'd be offering them over and over and over and over. They were a one sin sacrifice. You couldn't say, God, can I get credit for the next 10 months? I really haven't got a lot of time to go to Jerusalem, so I'm actually going to give you 10 of my best bulls. I think I'll only probably sin 10 times in 10 months. I'll add an 11th just in case. You know, it, it didn't work like that. That's the difference between the old system and the new. There are a couple of questions about forgiveness and non-Christians. And I think that uh, hopefully that will become a bit clearer this morning as we uh, look at the way in which we might apply the pattern which has to do with sin and our relationship with God to our relationships with one another. And the question arises because the Christian, their sin has been dealt with by God in Christ. What about the non-Christian? Their sin hasn't been dealt with by God in Christ. So how can we apply this pattern to the non-Christian? Do we have to have a different kind of understanding about when a non-Christian wrongs us and when a Christian wrongs us? Well, hopefully we'll clarify that a bit more this morning. Um, the... Um, <coughs> just to say at that point that um, what we're talking about and the way in which I think forgiveness works is in our actual relationship with each person, all right? And um, I hope that as we look at it a bit more this morning, we'll see that all of those things can be part of my relationship with another person who I've wronged in order to restore that relationship, all right? Um, so we'll have a bit more of a look at that as we go on this morning. And then finally, the questions about forgiveness and repentance. So here were the questions. What if the person who has wronged you has now died and they can't be punished or make restitution? Even worse, because they have died and you have no chance to be reconciled to them. Now that is a very significant difficulty. 
Next question. My friend has hurt me four times and I followed the pattern three of those times. By the fourth, I gave up. Was that the right thing to do? And the third question, someone, uh, it says hypothetical, someone does something terrible to my family. I want to reconcile, but they're not sorry, not repentant. How can I deal with forgiveness, especially since forgiveness has reconciliation as its goal? Now, I hope that uh, in the two talks this morning, we'll actually cover a lot of ground which will answer those questions. So I won't answer them before we start or we won't get started. But I think that uh, people are really taking on board what we've been looking at in the first two sessions and really seeing that there are difficulties, um, very, very uh, enormous and practical difficulties that we have. So if um, I don't answer your question, then please don't hesitate to either come and talk to me or if in the second session we get some time for actual questions from the floor, uh, then you might like to ask it then. Okay, now I just want to uh, run through the reminder slides uh, and then I want you to sort of have a bit of a wiggle uh, while we just set uh, something up here and then we'll get into it. Okay, so here is where we've come from. We looked at what the Bible says that sin is. And what I wanted us to do was to get a better understanding, a better biblical understanding and not to be limited to a kind of transactional understanding of sin, right? That there was a transaction. I breached the rule, I got a fine, everything's finished. Okay, sin actually has got to do with violating our relationship with the only one who perfectly, completely, fully, faithfully, steadfastly, enduringly, loves us that's what sin is <clears throat> we looked at God and his nature and I said to you suggested to you that uh, although we're not going to do a whole kind of look at what the Bible says about God and his nature and all that we could say about him that if we look at the fact that he is loving holy and righteous then those three essential characteristics of God will help us understand uh, what happens with sin, what happens with punishment, what happens with forgiveness, what happens in all of these areas. Those were our conclusions from the first talk, God must punish all sin, God forgives. Both of them really arise out of God's character, the fact that he punishes and the fact that he forgives. Forgiveness and punishment are not mutually exclusive, that you can't do both, you have to do either one or the other, said so that's not true, and that punishment is necessary for forgiveness to occur. We then looked at what that meant, that punishment is necessary for forgiveness to occur, as we looked at that pattern that God establishes in the Old Testament. There's a great song by Ben Pakula, a very special tent, um, and he goes through um, the whole of what the Bible says about the tabernacle, starting in the wilderness, going to Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And he says the problem is, how can a holy God live with a sinful people? 
That's what the tabernacle was all about. That's what this system of sacrifices allow to happen. So those were our conclusions, that it's part of the process, not the end of the process, that the context of the process is relationships, that we are each one to forgive like God forgives. We are not each one to punish like God punishes. However, that doesn't mean that no human beings will ever be involved in punishment. God actually establishes the proper means by which we as human beings can put punishment into effect. Okay, so I'll just uh, need to set up some sound whilst you have a wiggle. In 79, I think you would have been about 22, you went to a radio debate to the Rev Reverend Wade Watts, Reverend Wade Watts. who uh, was the state leader of the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People, who worked with Martin Luther King. Yes. And when you got to this debate, he held out his hand for you to yes. shake. Yes, he did. Did you hesitate? I, I, he caught me off guard. See, I'm expecting this black militant to come in with a great big afro this big and an and a African dashiki on with bones hanging around it and a button on that says, I hate honkies and death to crackers, you know, all that stuff. And I figured he'd have on you a black... You seriously thought Yeah, that? that's what I thought. And I thought he'd come in there carrying a boom box blaring out the theme from Shaft. I figured he'd, he'd, uh, he'd flash the switchblade at me and go, black is beautiful, honky. I'm going to kill all you white devils, you know. That's what I thought I was going to see. So when the door opened up and in came Reverend Wade Watts and he's wearing a suit and a tie, and he's carrying a Bible, and he walks up and he puts his hand out to me. He goes, hello there, Mr. Clare. I'm Reverend Wade Watts. I just want to tell you I love you and Jesus loves you. And, I mean, I'm shocked, you know. And then he puts his hand out, and I'm shaking his hand without thinking, because this wasn't what I was expecting. Then I realized I just broke a clan rule, and I jerked my hand back, you know. And I started looking at my hand, which he saw that, and that met, was met as an insult. The clan rule book says the physical touch of a non-white is pollution. And I thought, I just shook hands with a black person, and he sees me looking at my hand. He goes, don't worry, Johnny, it don't come off. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I start calling him names. I go, you no good, sorry, bleep, 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 you mother this, you this, you that. And he looked at me, he goes, God bless you, Johnny. He says, I, I, you can't do enough to me to make me hate you. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to pray for you whether you like it or not. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I had never had that happen to me before. A few years later, you burnt down his church, didn't you? Set fire to his church. See, he had, what happened was we started off going by his house, calling him names. We got no response. Threw trash all over his lawn. Got no response. Uh, we uh, put, showed up with our sheets and hoods and stood out there in his yard. Said, get on out here, boy. We got something for you. And he comes outside and goes, boys, Halloween's four more months away. I got no trick-or-treat in here for you. Come back in October. And he goes back in the house. That's a bright man. So, yeah. And, and, I mean, I didn't know how to deal with this. And so the clan goes, you got any more bright ideas? I said, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. So we burned a cross across the street from his house. He came outside and asked us if we needed hot dogs and marshmallows for our barbecue, you know. So finally, I said, I'm tired of messing with him. And we set fire to his church. And they put the fire out before the church was destroyed. And I remember I called him up and disguised my voice. And I said, hey, boy, you better be afraid. We're coming to get you, boy. You don't know who we are, but we know who you are. And he goes, hello, Johnny. <laughs> a man like you takes the time to call me. I'm so honored. And all that stuff. He goes, let me do something to you. He goes, dear Lord, please forgive Johnny for being so stupid. He doesn't mean to be so honored. He's a good boy trying to get out somewhere. In there. And I hung up the phone on him. I said, how dare him. And so the funniest thing that happened with him, though, is uh, I didn't know what to do. And I was at my ropes in. And one day we, we was watching him, and he went into a restaurant. So we got a bunch of us together, and about 30 of us went in there and surrounded him, and he had this chicken there on the table at the restaurant. And I walked up and I said, hey, boy, 
There's restaurants for white people only. We don't want you here. I said, so I'm going to make you a promise. I said, I promise you we're going to do the same thing to you that you do to that chicken. So you think real hard before you touch that chicken. So he looked at me and looked at the clan. Then he picked up the chicken and he kissed it. And then when he kissed the chicken, the whole restaurant acted just like y'all did. They all start laughing, you know, and everything. And, and I looked up and even the clan was laughing. <laughs> you got to admit, that was funny. I said, every one of you outside, I'm outside and they're doubled over laughing. I'm going, you guys are going to get suspended and lose your robe for two weeks. I said, I'm getting tired of this. And I'm hollering at them and yelling. And they're laughing. I heard a horn honk and Reverend Watson driving off going, bye, Johnny. You know, and stuff. And, and that's how he chose. That's how one old black, we never bothered him again. And that's how one old black man defeated the entire Ku Klux Klan. Because he used this instead of Braun. So... Uh, the interview is much longer. You can get the whole interview on the internet. Uh, but it really is, I think, a very um, dramatic demonstration of some of the things which we've been talking about uh, yesterday and which we'll go on to talk about this morning. And I thought it was much easier to actually hear him talking about it than to hear me uh, rerunning the interview. <coughs> the uh, passage that uh, uh, Omid read for us uh, from Matthew 18 is very dramatic. Rightly understood, it governs all our human relating. It says to us that no human being can wrong us more than we have wronged God. Secondly, it says that no human forgiveness is less deserved than God's forgiveness of me or of you. So it puts all our relating into the context of our relating to God. And it says that God has given to you and me a greater forgiveness than we can ever give to anyone else. It also says that no matter who we're dealing with, the essential understanding that I have to have of both the offender and of myself is that we are sinners, both. Now, that's not to say that someone might have done wrong and I might not have done wrong in the situation. It's not to take us to the situation which many people go to and say, because we're sinners, then you probably did something wrong as well and that's why he did something wrong and so really you just need to get over it because we're all doing wrong all the time. All right? That's not where we're going. It's our understanding of ourselves before God that then affects how we relate to others and it comes out of this passage in Matthew. Therefore, like God forgives you and me, we are to forgive others. We saw that out of Ephesians 5. We're to see ourselves as those who've been granted undeserved forgiveness by God and that is to guide our forgiving of others. There's a hymn that I want to read to you. Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? <clears throat> In blazing light your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. What trivial debts are owed to us. How great our debt to you. Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. 
then bound to all in bonds of love our lives will spread your peace okay so that's an essential part of our self-understanding how will we live out this forgiveness well we've got two situations i suggest the first is forgiveness when repentance accompanies it and forgiveness when repentance doesn't accompany it okay now we're going to look very quickly at forgiveness and repentance together and then after morning tea we'll look at forgiveness without repentance before morning tea i hope to also look at that question why is it so complicated to repent and to forgive and you'll see in your notes that what i've said there is i've talked about um creaturely um and what's the first word creaturely constraints right creaturely constraints that we're limited as creatures uh, but also we're corrupted creatures so one actually has to do with the fact that we are creatures and we're not god therefore we're limited the other has to do with the fact that we're sinners before god and therefore we're corrupted both our limitations and our corruption come into play when trying to forgive or repent and to actually restore our relationships so um veronica's phone just reminded me that i hadn't silenced oh, i had silenced mine there you go more ahead of myself than what i thought maybe i'm stephen pym after all <coughs> okay so let me give you a trivial example but one which i hope uh, you'll be able to identify with two children catch the school bus uh, together each day they've been friends uh, since they started in kindergarten and now they're in second class and they look forward every morning to the ride to school on the school bus one day the friend who gets on first for some reason decides that he's not going to sit with this particular special friend the friend who gets on second is there waiting to get on the bus hops in starts to walk to the back of the bus where the seat is always saved for him next to his special friend and as he's walking towards the back of the bus the special friend gets up and goes and sits with another classmate confused he takes his seat the next day exactly the same thing happens just as he's about to get to the seat that he thinks is saved for him at the back of the bus the friend hops up and goes and sits with someone else talks with him all the way into school happens again third day fourth day you get the picture the poor little guy who gets on second is totally confused but he's not only totally confused he's totally hurt as well all right that action has ruptured the relationship so now <clears throat> over the weekend uh, the two little guys both go to their respective churches uh, and uh, they hop on the bus on monday morning as the second guy starts to walk to the back of the bus he sees his friend get up and he thinks oh no here it goes again but the friend keeps on walking all the way down and meets him halfway down the bus and he says to him i'm sorry that i hurt you last week i'm sorry that i kept turning away from you i'm sorry that i kept not talking to you i don't want it to happen again come and sit with me at the back of the bus the other little guy turns and says to him with a tear in his eye that really hurt 
but I understand what you're saying. I'll come and sit with you. I forgive you. Cute, isn't it? Emotive as well. I mean, you can feel it. Because forgiveness has got to do with relationships. That's its context. It's in relationships. There we see repentance and forgiveness going together and the relationship restored. Because the first little guy had actually done something against the relationship, right? He had violated the relationship. He'd turned away from his friend and he'd turned towards someone else. And here he was turning back. Now, if you're looking at the pattern, the first, just a minute, we haven't really done the pattern. All we've talked about is repentance and forgiveness. What about punishment? What about restitution? What about atonement? How are they going to play out in our relationship that we've just talked about. Yes, forgiveness and repentance of what we've been talking about. What about punishment? Well, maybe in this context, the right authority to enact punishment would be a teacher at school. And so when they get off the bus, they go and they actually find their class teacher and they ask the class teacher if they can see the teacher at recess. And the teacher says, certainly come in, what can, I, what can I do for you? And so the first little boy, the one who gets on first, says, Miss Jones, all of last week, whenever Ed got on the bus, I actually got up and sat with Jack. I wanted Ed to be really upset. And I did it every day. And I could see that it hurt him and I knew that I was doing it on purpose. Now, Miss Jones at that point might say, don't worry about it, <coughs> why are you bringing this to me? Or Miss Jones might say, now, <coughs> that really was very hurtful, wasn't it, Nick? You intended to hurt Ed. Yes, I did. Well, punishment is appropriate. And so, and on they go. They work out the punishment that goes into this situation. The authority that uh, ought to administer the punishment is doing it. But Nick hasn't finished. Nick, he, um, <coughs> what he heard on Sunday was just so amazing that Nick has really got it. And so on Tuesday morning, Nick actually greets Ed with, Ed's favourite morning tea. He says to him, look, I, I know that I hurt you last week and, and I know that I meant to do it and I'm re really sad that I, I did that and I want to have your friendship and so on and I want you to know how much I mean those words that I say. So last night, Mum and I actually made your favourite slice and I brought it along for you for morning tea. I've got some too so I can share it with you. Okay. So here we see, well, maybe that's some restitution. But maybe also, as the week goes on, and every day, Ed hops on the bus and there is Nick beaming to see him, then what happens with Ed's anger? See, Ed knows that Nick really means it. And so his anger 
will be turned away and he'll be able to turn back in favour towards Nick. Okay, so um, that's just, a, you know, at one level, a very petty example, but it starts to actually, you know, sort of show the kinds of things that happen in our relationships. Now, we don't have time to actually go through more complicated or more difficult um, examples, but I think that we can start to uh, see how that might happen. Just very quickly then, I want to look at the way in which as constrained creatures and corrupted creatures, we have problems with this whole pattern that God has set out for us. So firstly, with regard to sin, we have limited knowledge of what is right and wrong. We don't actually know everything about what is right and what is wrong. As sinners, we want to establish right and wrong. So we want to say at times, it's right for me to be hard on you like this. It's right for me to hit you because you are not being obedient. It's right for me to bruise and hurt and we want to make right, wrong and wrong, right. Because we are sinners. But because we are made in God's image, we also have a sense of righteousness, a sense of justice, a sense of right and wrong. It's not that we have no idea and that it's a concept that's totally foreign to us. We do, because we're made in God's image, have this understanding. But sin actually mucks it all up and in sinning we put ourselves in the position of wanting to say what is right and wrong. Now both of those things apply to either what we'll call the perpetrator, the one who does wrong, and the victim, the one who is wrong. That's our situation. When it comes to repentance, we saw in Genesis chapter 3, or we would see if we read on further, that the husband and wife start to blame others. When it comes to um, recognising guilt, we, as corrupted creatures, don't want to bear the recognition of our guilt. It's complicated by fear and shame, and we could go on. I have another section here working from Romans chapter 1, about all of the ways in which sin affects us and which come into uh, our dealing with others. In Romans chapter 1, uh, our thinking is futile, our hearts are darkened, we are fooled. In other passages of the Bible, we're stiff-necked, hard-hearted, obstinate, boastful, arrogant, stained, contaminated, defiled, blind, enslaved, without God, without hope, and dead. Now, you bring anyone who's all of those things into a situation with someone else who's all of those things and you have one wrong the other, we've got real problems because we're sinners, because we're corrupted creatures. When it comes to punishment, we've said God always knows what the correct punishment is and always has the punishment fit the crime. The one who does wrong will tend to want to minimise the offence so that the punishment is minimised. As the one who is wronged, often we're on the opposite side. We want to maximise the offence so that we can maximise the punishment. And we end up with this kind of punishment gap. You know, this is what the person who did wrong expects and this is what I expect to give to them. Uh, and this is much greater than that. Um, 
when it comes uh, to restitution, we'll just, I'll just skip over that because uh, time is, is short. Uh, when it comes to atonement, the one who does wrong can often be very ambivalent as to whether we really want to get back into a right relationship with the other person. God is never like that. God desires to look favourably on us. Okay? So he knows where he wants to go. We, however, are confused. Uh, we might, um, <clears throat> as those who, are, who have wrong done against us, particularly if it's a repeated wrong, um, there might actually be whole systems of response and reaction that become set up in our bodies. The way we are, as human beings, we are embodied, and so injury um, causes problems to us. Repeated injury causes repeated problems. We can actually set brain pathways. Post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, for example, is all about the way in which our human bodies respond to repeated um, difficulty, uh, whether it be stress, which something might not be particularly done against us, or an attack which may be made against us. And finally, if we go down uh, to reconciliation uh, and um, uh, just to say about God's forgiveness. Uh, God says that he um, forgets our sins, that he, in another expression, uh, puts our sin as far as from him as the east is from the west. We are not able to do that as human beings and uh, we are not able to be reconciled in one step as God is. We can't actually come to that point where we have that instant reconciliation. And so for the wrongdoer, patterns of sin may be very difficult to break. Repentance will involve us renouncing behaviours. Some behaviours we will find extremely difficult to renounce but then also on the part of the person who has been wronged likewise that whole pattern may make it very difficult for us to reconcile uh, with the person who has wronged us it's a one-step process for God as it were but for us his creatures it's an ongoing exercise an ongoing work as Mutually um, trustworthy behaviours bring about the full sense of reconciliation, right? And I differ, distinguish the full sense and experience of reconciliation from the actual decision of reconciliation, okay? So with God, the decision and the full sense occur as one. With us, the decision and the full sense actually occur over time okay so that's how forgiveness and repentance work together and i'm going to pray our dear heavenly father we uh, do thank you that you love us perfectly uh, that all that is necessary uh, to bring your rebellious creatures back into right relationship with you has been done by you. We thank you for the way in which your word gives us to understand so much of what is involved in that restoration of relationship. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as those who have been forgiven uh, by you in Christ, 
we might have a true understanding of ourselves as forgiven sinners. That we might understand uh, all with whom we deal as sinners also in need of forgiveness. That your forgiveness does not make us any better than those around us. So Heavenly Father, we pray that you might help us uh, to be able to forgive and to repent in our relationships and to learn more and more how to put that into practice. How to bring together these parts of the pattern that you have established so that within our lives, having been reconciled to you, we might be reconciled with others round about us and that we might bring to them the message of reconciliation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.